The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. I just want to welcome all of you and thank you for your being interested in this subject. I know it's a, it's a big one with women. And as counselors, it's really important that we address this because the statistics are great. I'm Judell Taylor, and a little bit about myself. I'm married, been married for 39 years, almost 39 years. My husband is Bunky, and he's a certified biblical counselor. And we're members of Grace Bible Church, so we're glad to be there. But I'm honored to be able to share with you tonight and one other thing, if you think of questions, we definitely will have time at the end for question and answer. So jot them down and I'll try to answer them the best I can. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just um, thank you for this time together. I thank you for the ladies that are here. I thank you for those that are counseling women in such need and I pray that you would help us to address some of those issues and go to the source and the problem so that we can bring them this freedom of forgiveness that they so desperately need. So we ask you to be with us. Pray that you help me to have your peace and to be able to bring your word forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start with a quote from John Calvin. It says, The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being, and it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. And whether you know it or not, every one of us are affected by abortion, whether it's a sibling or it can be a mom, niece, even a nephew. There are so many children gone. They're missing grandchildren, even neighbors. And sometimes we know about them and sometimes we don't. But our goal in this short amount of time is to make you more aware and Uh, make you more able to counsel a post-abortive woman. A little bit of the facts. Most of you know that that, um, abortion became legal January 22nd, 1973. And that gives every pregnant woman in all 50 states the right to abortion at any stage from conception all the way to full term. So in 41 years, we've lost over 54 million babies in the United States to abortion. And the statistics are one out of three women um, have chosen abortion. And the the other is 3,000 babies a day lose their lives. So just keep that in mind as we go on. How can this be going on in our day and age? And it seems that there's not that much that's being done about it. There's a silence when a person is touched by personally by this issue that prevents them from even talking about it. They just, they shudder, they close up. If you're, if you're not personally affected by it, then yeah, you can talk politics or um, as the 
the word abortion comes up, but if you've ever noticed someone that is really affected by it, they'll just slither away and get out of the situation as quickly as possible. Author Andy, Randy Alcorn parallels abortion and the killing of Jews during World War II. He says, Self-righteously, we decree the German church's failure to stand up for the Jews. Meanwhile, we fail to stand up for the unborn. We shake our heads in disgust at the German church's tolerance of one holocaust while ignoring our own tolerance of another. Another parallel, like the inferiority of the Jewish people that came through the courts was slavery. And we're all aware of that, especially us that are older. Um, In Kurt Young's book, The Least of These, he concludes, Understanding the tragic consequences of slavery in American history, most of us have assumed that no one, let alone the Supreme Court, would dare to suggest that rights be stripped away from another class of human beings. The injustice of the deed would be apparent, and the memory is still too vivid. God's justice does not sleep forever. Besides, the 14th Amendment precludes such injustices. Unfortunately, human rights have again been stripped away from a class of people, and the U.S. Supreme Court again was the crucial advocate of this position. The result has been a form of violence that from the victim's perspective, is more brutal than the bloody lash of a master's whip against the back of his slave. So one thing that they, you know, they said would never, ever happen, and then right before our eyes, this is exactly what's going on. Uh, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, instructs us to vindicate the weak and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the destitute, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And that's exactly what we're instructed to do. We need to focus on the fetus as a tiny human being entitled to the right to life. But we also have to consider the mother's pressures and circumstances surrounding her dreaded choice of abortion. A quote from David Powelson, and this is in his little pamphlet, It resonated with me and most of the women that I counsel. He says, I have followed too much the devices and the desires of my own heart. Perhaps you might say something like this. Well, it seemed like the right decision, or it seemed like the only decision. It seemed like what I needed to do. It seemed like what everybody was suggesting that I should do. And it seemed like I had no options And yet I realize now that I was following too much the devices and the desires of my own heart. Many years ago, my pastor at the time announced that the local crisis pregnancy center needed volunteers. So I responded. Little did I know that God had his plan for my continued journey down a path that surprisingly would expose my past. You see, I was going to go volunteer, but I wasn't going to share my past. I was going to, I knew that that was something in me that I wanted to minister to young girls. And um, I knew that they had been in the same predicament that I had been in, but abortion would continue to be my secret. So I filled out the paperwork and met with the director. And of course, if you've been in, 
involved with the crisis pregnancy centers, the the director and the ones that are volunteering, they know most of the time what the volunteers are coming for. You know, they know that they have a past, just like what our conference is about, and that that's why God has put that heart in them to do this, you know, and to come forward. So, of course, the first thing they ask you is filling out your paperwork and stuff. You know, why are you doing this? Or do you have an abortion in the past? And and it just naturally comes out. So God was working on me and um, bringing me to his grace in unlocking the freedom of forgiveness for me. So at 18 years old, I had just graduated from high school. I was attending cosmetology college on a scholarship and I found myself pregnant. I had been going with a guy in high school for a couple of years, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but I never thought about marrying him. So it was just one of those kind of bad relationships that you just kind of sit home and you wait for them to call, and you waste a lot of time. And it was towards the end of going through this relationship not knowing that it was, I mean, knowing that it wasn't going to go anywhere permanent. And I ended up with um, definitely a crisis pregnancy. And in your notes that I have listed there, I've defined it as an unexpected set of circumstances that demands a choice. And Webster's Dictionary puts it this way, the decisive moment, the turning point, especially in an illness or emergency, a time of difficulty or danger. And this crisis pregnancy decision can be overwhelming and life-dominating, leaving a woman without careful thought of the impact that it will have on her life immediately and in the future. So I was working towards a career, and no one could know. So my only thought was, I have to get unpregnant. I actually didn't even think of it as a baby. I just thought, almost like a disease or something, I'm pregnant and I have to get unpregnant. So I wasn't raised in school where they teach about abortion. I didn't know anything about it. We didn't have sex education back then and all that. But for some reason, abortion came to my mind. And so... Um, I figured that that was the only quick, secret solution. And for me, I went to a free clinic, and I was counseled. I hardly said anything. If you think of a young 18-year-old, I mean, I was just a kid, and they they just said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, have an abortion, and they just did everything. And I hardly had to you know, say anything or even, I I don't even remember them asking anything about, like, the father or anything. So they set it all up. Um, I had one fairly new friend in cosmetology school because I had just started, and I told her, and so she um, supported me, and she took me to the appointment. And for me, which isn't always the case, but it was very smooth and easy for me. I mean, I I went, I had it done, and I just continued life. It wasn't like some of the girls that I counsel and go through my class and stuff. So I was fortunate that way. But what I didn't anticipate was my neat little tiny package unraveling into a lifetime of consequences. 
So in the early years of my marriage, later on, my husband compassionately walked me through the process, just loved me and um, taught me a lot about forgiveness that I didn't feel like I had. I had plenty of tears and heartache and regret, but God took my sinful past and he redeemed it for his glory. And one of our favorite verses, I think it's in your notes too, is Romans 8.28. This one I know for a fact for my life that this is what God does. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And this encourages my post-abortive girls. He always takes broken lives, he redeems them, and he makes them useful in his kingdom. So my volunteer work actually began when my three children were in school. I participated in this pregnancy center's very first post-abortion Bible study for myself. And after I completed that, I began to co-lead the next group with an older, very godly woman. And after many years, I became the leader, and I've taught for over 20 years now. So that's not the end of my story, though. I had a second crisis pregnancy with my husband when our children were 16, 18, and 20 years old. And if you think about my definition, it's an unexpected set of, cir- set of cir- circumstances that demands a choice. Well, abortion never entered our minds but a whole lot of concerns did. I was at the end of my childbearing years. Our oldest son had moved out. Our oldest daughter was graduating from high school. And it wasn't just your regular public high school. It was a Christian, smaller high school. And so the parents have to walk down on one side of each of them down to the stage. And I am six months pregnant, you know, like this. And so... And then our youngest daughter was a junior in high school. So it was just plain embarrassing. It was scary, too. I mean, just thinking of my age and thinking of having an only child at this point. But it was still a crisis pregnancy. So you can see, even in that one, that if we weren't in a place of completely trusting God, it would have been real tempting and easy with no one knowing to, um, and it being legal to um, choose abortion. No one would know. And this does happen. I have girls that are married, and they maybe have a couple of kids or several, and they, they just realize they can't have any more. So it's not just, you know, the single um, girls running around and getting pregnant. It's um, married couples, too. So I've listed some of the most common reasons for choosing abortion. Again, in your notes, no support, coercion by others, just not good timing, working towards a career, finances, too young to be a mom, fear of exposure, or just the reckless party mentality involving drugs, alcohol, and relationships. And then going on, most post-abortive women have an initial sense of relief after the procedure. Following that, we tend to be able to stuff it down and go into a self-denial stage. But typically, symptoms of guilt, regret, (coughs) intense grief, 
anger, unforgiveness, heartache, and depression begin to plague us. That's when we mask the pain with drugs, alcohol, (coughs) eating disorders, and unhealthy relationships. And for you not to be surprised, but I've talked to some biblical counselors that have shared with me about um, the women that they are counseling, and they're they're trying to deal with some of these symptoms and they have no idea that it's a root of abortion way in their past. And on the other hand, then I have a lot of girls that come through my classes that are going for counseling at places and they're working on the symptoms and they don't even realize that it's from a past abortion. So it's, it's important to look for those when you're counseling your girls and at some point even being able to ask them, to pointly um, ask them. Um, But the silence that um, surrounds abortion keeps us from opening up. Therefore, we live with the pain, continuing to suppress our feelings when what we really need is to confess our sin and to bring it to the light in order to be forgiven by God. And Caroline, can you read um, Psalm 32, 1 through 5? Sure. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee and did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. And if you, just from what I've shared, can you just see the post-abortive woman there? I mean... Um, keeping silent and she's wasting away and just like Steve Byers talking about bitterness I mean it just it affects everything she suppresses the the truth her mind is continually triggered back to that choice through daily situations she she may be on medication to function and the silence of her sin causes her body to waste away but verse 5 offers such great hope I acknowledged my sin to you, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Transgressions are forgiven and covered. Former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop said that many women may feel that relief and restoration immediately after their abortion, but suffer negative reactions months or years later. There is no doubt that there are detrimental effects to abortion. They experience these feelings after the denial and defense strategies begin to fade. And I tell the girls in my classes that it is God's grace that plucks them out of wherever they're at and gets them to me. Because I could tell you story after story of ones that I would have on my list that were supposed to meet with me and to get into the class, and it just goes on and on. They just can't bring themselves to doing that. I had one girl that she said it was a whole year she had a sticky to her, stuck on her bedpost, and she would see it morning and night, every single day, and it was a year later before she actually called me and 
set the appointment up. And that tells you just the pain that that they have and how they suppress it and just keep trying to push it down. So girls come from all different backgrounds and churches, all of them professing to be Christians, and the gospel is clear in our workbook. This is probably a good time to show you. And they have a lot of the workbooks down on the table, which I'm thrilled. And depending on where you're from, if you have someone that you're counseling, I mean, you can use this to go over it with them or even just for your own reference because it's just full of scripture and would be really, really helpful. So they have a lot of these. They have a leader's guide that goes along with it too. And then myself, in the, I started using this probably about um, six or seven years ago. And I, I had some young girls that were raised Catholic, and they had never used their Bible. And there is so much scripture in here that they were getting bogged down. Because if, you, if you've ever done a Bible study where you have a lot of homework and stuff, and a week goes by pretty quick and when you're trying to find all the scriptures... And so I actually had to meet with them in between our classes to help them get through the homework. And so I thought, that's crazy. So I had an elder at our old church years ago make this up for me. And this is all just scripture. So it's like a Bible to go along with this. So all of this is all the scripture that is in here. So I loan this to them and let them use it during our class. So it works well. And I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, the workbook in a few minutes. So the gospel is, is clear all the way through there. Forgiveness is based solely on what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we were dead in our sins, God became a man. He lived a perfect life without sin and fulfilled God's law. On the cross, Jesus bore God's wrath as a penalty for our sins. And then he was raised from the dead and now sits at the Father's right hand, making intercession on our behalf day and night. What good news for the post-abortive woman. The emphasis in our class is to understand and grasp his infinite supply of forgiveness but we have to face the gravity of what we have done and turn to him to find mercy. And many of my girls have never thought of their abortion as murder. And that may sound really harsh and um, hard to admit, but therein lies the freedom of forgiveness. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. I hand out this um, fetal development about the second or third class and um, they take it home, and they can see in the, the different trimesters, they can see exactly what was going on if, if they know approximately when they aborted their babies. And it's just really important for them to come to terms with that, and some of them it's very, very hard. You know, it brings a lot of tears 
when they really acknowledge that it was a baby and that they stopped the life of their baby. And on the back, it, it has the different things that are um, functioning at different weeks. So that's, it's just a great tool for them to face their sin. So we want to lovingly expose the sin in order to understand forgiveness. Our Bible study unveils the lie that we are alone and isolated in our sin without hope. We are guaranteed that God accepts our confession because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and he grants total forgiveness. Um, Most of the women have put the sin of abortion into a separate category that can't be forgiven. They say, I know I'm forgiving, but... And then um, another one is, well, I just don't feel forgiven. The one that is... It just runs rampant is, I can't forgive myself. So these are myths that um, they have to be dispelled by Scripture, and that's what we do in our class. Because left to those, you have no hope. You just you give up and you just can't go on. Uh, Psalm 103, 10 through 12, describes the Lord's forgiveness in a simple, simple analogy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I don't know if all of you know, I'm, I just lost my train of thought with the, um, the song, um, but have any of you heard the song from east to west? And so sometimes in my classes, depending on the group, I even play that because it's just such beautiful words. And it it goes over this scripture. And for them just to meditate and just to hear that is really good. Um, so our tendency is to replace the pain of our sin with works and in hope of relief. But the truth is that there's no amount of works that we can do to earn forgiveness Many of the girls in my classes are volunteers, like I mentioned before, um, from the Pregnancy Resource Center, just like myself. And our best efforts cannot cancel the debt for our sin of abortion. Apart from Jesus Christ, no one can ever be forgiven. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And then Titus, that was Titus 3, 4, and 5. Works come after we are saved and when we understand the complete and total forgiveness that only Christ offers. Most of the girls, including myself, are surprised to have to expose their past in order to volunteer. If they desire to counsel at our center, Um, and are post-abortive, then my class is mandatory for them. They can do some of the other um, reception work and things like that, but they really require them to go through my class, and their past becomes a blessing for volunteering. And even it's so funny because some of them, um, which even when they come to me, I think they really understand forgiveness. And so they say, I don't really think I need to go through your class, but they're making it mandatory. And it's just, 
it's so wonderful to watch them go through and they say, oh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything because of what they got out of it and learning from the other girls and the scripture and everything. So I kind of laugh when they tell me that. I've, I've heard that before. So I'm blessed to teach from that, the biblical workbook that I showed you. Um, Sandy Day, the author, presents the gospel throughout. She has memorized books of the Bible to get her through some of her very own difficult past. Um, She definitely knows the importance of washing the mind with God's truth. In my beginning years of teaching, I used a workbook that brought many challenges to my growing biblical theology. But the Lord was still gracious to work in many, many women's lives in spite of its inadequacy. And... There's a lot of aspects that are unbiiblical and steer post-abortive women away from focusing on the truth in the majority of the curriculum that's available. And it's promoted by the organizations that oversee the pregnancy centers. So it's kind of, um, I don't know if you found that to be true, but if you, uh, most of the pregnancy centers are um, governed by like, um, I think it's HealthNet and anyway, different ones. And they come up with their own curriculum and then they tell the pregnancy centers what they think they should use. I've looked at a lot of it, critiqued a lot of it. I have found a couple other ones that are good, but um, this one is very biblical. And so I'm just thankful that God gave me that and took me out of um, some of the others that I was... um, finding very difficult to continue to use. So I wanted to read just a little um, portion of, if I can find it. This is, um, he has it down there on the book table. And this is a great um, resource too, just a little pamphlet. It's called Healing After Abortion. So this will give you kind of a flavor of what I'm talking about with some of these things that um, steers away from what post-abortive women really need and not to um, be dwelling on. So this little section is called Trust God's Character. Some women who have had an abortion struggle with questions about where their baby is now. These are questions that thoughtful Christian people have wrestled with down through the ages. I don't claim to have the one solve-it-all answer on this, but there are two important things that you need to think about. First, the most fundamentally sane answer to these questions is, I don't know. I can't know. I do know that God is good. I do know that God is merciful. I do know that His ways are not my ways, but I don't know. You can only live with that, I don't know, as your trust in God's goodness, love, and mercy deepens and grows. Knowing that you worship the Lord of heaven and earth, who is all just and all merciful, who is working to redeem you, will fill you with confidence that you can absolutely trust his character. You can trust that everything God does will express his perfect justice and perfect mercy. Second, sometimes women are encouraged to create a fantasy relationship with their child, to name the child, to imagine that he or she is in a better place, perhaps even to talk to the baby and ask the baby's forgiveness. Added to that is the natural temptation to imagine what might have been. First steps, first day of school, 
high school graduation, 21st birthday, and to live in a fantasy world. But God is not a God of fantasy. He's a God of reality. And those fantasies are not reality. So the time you spend talking to your child or imagining what your child might have done is actually time wasted. You are trying to deal with your grief by living in an unreal world instead of going to the real God who offers you real mercy, forgiveness, and hope. The bottom line is this. God is bigger than you, your child, and your abortion, and he will order your life for good. You are called to trust that the hand on the steering wheel of the universe is a good hand. Your peace and rest will not come from knowing all the answers or from fantasizing about what you don't know. Peace will come as you trust that God is for you and completely trustworthy. And I read this to the girls because these are things that they bring up over and over and over again. And I love the way he just he just puts it out there. And I don't have to like you know, counter them and deal with all these um, things. And they love it. Almost all of them just really embrace that and, and realize that, I mean, you can go on and on with this list of some of the things that he brought out. So our workbook includes the study of creation, Adam and Eve, uh, David and Joseph's lives, attributes of God, sin, repentance, forgiveness, and also there's many um, detailed testimonies. I think there's eight altogether of post-abortive women in the workbook that told their stories. And there's so many common aspects that my girls identify and relate to. Some of them are wanting to be loved, uh, losing their innocence, not living up to their family values, and continued wrong choices, but also what brought them to the place of reconciliation with God. And uh, she's also put Eddie's Eddie's story in there, which is a man's perspective, which ministered to me years ago, um, and it gives um, way to a lot of interaction in the class, because many, like myself, never let the father of the baby know that they were even pregnant. They may reason, it's my body, It's my choice, and it's none of his business. There are so many dynamics surrounding the decision of abortion, and I'm thankful that Sandy Day is considered a wide variety. So that's a a really good thing that we need to talk about and see how they address that situation with the father of the baby. Uh, Abortion affects so much of the woman's life and opens conversation to their family life, marriage, children, siblings, infertility, church life, and basic theology of who God is and how he graciously steps down into our situation. We were just talking before the class about marriages. I mean, it seems like so many of them, most of them don't have a a good communication with their husband concerning that, whether it's before they got married or after, and it takes a toll on their marriage. And it's so that's something that we address And it's amazing how many uh, different topics are brought up because of how, how abortion affects all of them. I make copies of material that I've gleaned over the years, and I hand it out to my girls that coincides with the homework in the workbook. Um, Some of my resources include Jim Neuheiser's teaching notes, Ken Sandy's peacemaker material, 
Corey Tenboom's excerpt on forgiveness, which is great, Ed Welch on regrets, and Robert D. Jones on a biblical alternative to self-forgiveness. I tell the girls that in the small amount of time that I have with them, I'm going to stuff them as much as I can, because some of them, I only see them for that amount of time. And so, um, and, and that brings me to, Craig ran off a whole bunch of my paperwork that I've given out. I picked out certain ones, and so they're all stacked up there and all paper clipped and everything, so feel free to help yourself there. My classes are formed on a as-needed basis. A woman calls me. We set up an appointment to meet privately in my home for one hour. Uh, the majority have never shared their story or even knew that there was a safe place to even do that. And that initial call may have taken months, like I said, or even years to make because of the fear and anxiety associated with opening up. So I get to see from the very beginning this special time where I meet with them one-on-one and I can just see instantly the sense of relief that they have as that I share my story and they share theirs and and that just begins the the freedom of forgiveness and they're after we meet they're excited and anxious for the next class to start Uh, the isolation and the feeling that they were the only one to make this dreadful decision begins to diminish I keep in contact with them until a class forms, which is ideally at least five women. We meet once a week in my home from seven to nine for eight to ten weeks, and that kind of depends on the size of the class. So each group is very unique and precious. We definitely see the fruit of forgiveness unfold, and we love one another. They're sad to see the class come to an end because of very deep friendships that are formed. Some stay in contact with each other, and many continue to call me and get together for years. Um, I presently have two co-leaders that I have previously gone through my class years ago and just have a heart to do that, and so I'm blessed with that. I've seen women's lives transformed and made useful to God just like He did for me. If He had not orchestrated my past, I would have never been doing what I do now, opening my home to complete strangers for over 20 years. For me, teaching forgiveness to these women has become a driving force. If they don't accept God's finished work of redemption on the cross for all of their sins, then they are hindered in every aspect of their life. And I know that freedom, and I want them to know it. So that's that's what I have to share, and I'm open to any questions. Yes? I'm just curious, um, what percentage of women who come to the center and take the classes end up having an abortion anyway, number one? Or number two, have the child and then put it up for adoption? Or do most of the women have the baby and keep it? At the center? Or for your classes, from your classes. For my classes, just, I, all I do is post-abortion. So they've, that's right. yeah, so they've had abortions in their past. And that's it. They're, I mean, we're all post-abortive that are in the class. So, yeah, as far as the center and um, all of that, I'm not. So you're not that involved in that angle? Of no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Yes. 
Um, I know a young lady who um, just recently got back together with her husband because he was in prison. Um, but while he was in prison, she hooked up with another guy and got pregnant and ended up having um, an abortion. But he won't talk about like he won't talk about it with her. The and husband her, or the the husband won't. And so, like, you know, she talks to me about it, and I told her, well, we can pray about this, but that's the only thing I've ever known to really say because I don't, I, I'm very new at this. So right. what should I tell her? Like, what is some good advice to give her? Because she wants to talk about it because she's hurting inside about it, but he doesn't want to talk about it. So, so she is... Back with her husband. Yes, he, he took um, her yeah. back. Yes. And he knew about it. Yes. That's, I had the exact same scenario with a girl that lived with us years and years ago. She, um, her husband went to prison and she got pregnant. Um, she actually carried her baby, so she lived with us until she carried it. And then her husband took her back. But, um, yeah, that can be really, really difficult. Um, I, th I think it would take quite some time to be able, um, just that he would even forgive her and take her back after that. Um, he's got a lot to deal with, too. So, just tell her to be patient. Yeah. For yeah, and if she can talk to you, I think that might be most beneficial at this time. Where are you at? We live in Hesperia, the high desert. Okay. So we're kind of limited on... Well, and the same thing. You can get one of these workbooks yeah, and you could go through it with her. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Caroline. Can you give the title of the workbook for the tape? Yes. It's called Living in His Forgiveness by Sandy Day. On the... Right. On the back of the Yeah. Yeah. Eileen. I found one of the hardest things is who they should tell later on and what are the biblical principles that would determine who ought to know, like a sibling. Um, and in this case, it was, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the husband. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly that would be. But... Um, those aren't the easiest things to figure out and work through. Right. But my um, sort of rule of thumb is uh, someone who would have been most impacted because of a relationship. Right. Then, of course, the forgiveness is first Godward. But then to ask forgiveness of someone who was denied a brother or sister. Right. Someone like that. That that's part of of the process. Right. Does that book address that? Mm -hmm. uh, um, it, it does. It tells you to seek forgiveness from the people who have been hurt by it. If there were boyfriends who were deprived of, of knowing their child, if there were um, parents, say the, the, the parents of the, of the woman um, knew about it but couldn't help or be intervened. Um, personally, 30 years later, I asked my parents' forgiveness, and 
it was a very freeing experience for me. I just didn't ever know how to bring that up, but, um, but the book does does talk about making uh, amends with right. who could have been affected. And I think, and children are a, a big one that we always go over too. Because, and I, I encourage the girls with um, uh, young teenage children that I think it's important that they understand that um, what you've gone through and um, that you're there for them. Because, like I said, it's so easy to just get an abortion. And if they don't know um, like that mom had an abortion or and to be able to share that story with them, they may be um, reluctant to come to them. And so I think it's really important at some point, if they can do that, I encourage them to. I don't tell them, you know, go home and do it right now, but be aware of that. And, um, and I know I had to do that with my children. And, um, they were quite a bit older, too. They, they all knew. I mean, I was doing this study and everything. I had never told them. They were very pro-life. I mean, my middle daughter had done a whole um, report at Christian High School, and I helped her do it with, on abortion and stuff. And so um, I had to call them all together at some point and tell them, and it was, it was wonderful. But I, I totally agree, and it's... it's it just depends. It depends on each situation, who was involved or impacted by it. Um, with like my mom, I chose not to share with her because she was elderly and she um, she was a Christian. I knew she'd forgive me. I I didn't not tell her because I was afraid of what, but um, I didn't think it would be beneficial, so I never told her. So I think it it just. It depends. It's not just everybody needs to tell all your siblings and all your children and all your parents. Um, and and she deals with uh, fathers if if you're in another relationship or they're married or you know there's some territory that you just don't go into there. So you can um, make sure that you've asked for forgiveness from God. You know, do different things too feel like you've addressed the situation. Patty. Um, if you've not had an abortion in your past, but you still would like to work with post-abortive women or young women who are considering <coughs> it, um, is, is that an opportunity? Or, like in your case, do you find that that might be a hindrance to, um, to working with for me, um, I, if you remember when I started telling my story, I had an elderly lady that that's who she was the leader of the class and she was not post-abortive. And she she had lost two husbands and um, she just she knew what grief was about. She was motherly and she was she was wonderful, not post-abortive. So I think it just depends. You could be the right yeah, right fit still, just to have a heart. Eileen? I find that some of these women think that this is sort of the unpardonable sin. Yes, definitely. And if you can explain whatever you know about the unpardonable sin, this isn't it, and that we're all broken, right? and need Jesus, and that this 
isn't in its own category. Right. And that's, yeah, and that's what I try to move it because I think they put it in that separate category. And bringing out all the forgiveness scriptures in the Bible makes them realize that all means all. And um, like I said, a lot of them being raised Catholic, that's really hard to get past that when you've been told that it is uh, unforgivable to understand that. So, I had one gal who had 11 abortions. Wow. And, um, yeah, her, she was particularly uh, tempted more than any to, to do penance. Uh-huh. To make it. Um, and actually, now she's going to try to have an embryo adoption. Um, but I don't think it's penance. But uh, it's, I think it's part of the process. Right. Um, uh, have you found that the multiples are complicated? Sometimes, and then I've had some that because it, they they used it as birth control, that it became so easy for them. Once they had one, maybe the second one, it didn't even phase them. They just knew what to do in that lifestyle to to take care of their problem, and so they they kind of get all lumped together. If it's hard to, if there's one or two, I I try to have them separate them a little bit because there's always different circumstances. You know, there's different fathers and there's all these things. But in multiples, it's a lot of times they don't even know. You know, they're sleeping around and stuff, so they don't even know who the father is. I mean, it just gets really complicated. It's hard to sort them all out. So you kind of have to ask for forgiveness for all of them. And the ones that stand out, deal with those. who had four, and she found that naming those children, because it was four, was particularly helpful. She wasn't fantasizing what they right. become, but she named them very important names. Right. And that was helpful. And names that were generic could be male or female. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that out, because I meant to mention that in there. That's one thing that I, I don't promote it, but I think if someone is having a hard time seeing it as a baby, that's helpful, is because then it sort of puts a face to the baby. And like you said, where it's generic, but it's like, that was my child. It was a baby. So that's good. Go ahead. I found the book excellent. I went through it myself in a group. Uh Uh-huh. Because my abortion was well before I became a Christian, and and I told my husband before I got married, and he understood, and he was accepting. But I never knew for 20 years that there was anything, or 30 years, that there was anything like this. Right. That there was counseling available. I know. And, and you know, the, the enemy wants to isolate you. And right. And when you're in church, and you see, you become a Christian, you see all the church ladies, and you think they all have these perfect lives. Right. You have this terrible background and you think you're just black yeah and it you think of it as the unpardonable sin yeah and you can't tell anybody but there's um, a wonderful that book was wonderful because so much scripture is applied to and, and that's where the healing comes right um, god's god's word is powerful mm-hmm. yeah more than anything else you can yeah you can use and um 
So I I love Sandy Day's book. She came and she taught at a um, a Bible uh, a women's retreat that we had, and it was for our church ladies. And so I went to her privately and I told her, oh. and she said, "Oh, it's okay. There's four other ladies have come up to me." <laughs> I go, what? <laughs> was that at Masters? No. Uh, oh, I know she her husband. Yeah, well, she was there one year at a women's retreat that I went and saw her, too, so that's why I was wondering. But. Oh, it was a few years back, but then I okay. went through that class, and it was the best resource. And the other thing that was really wonderful in here was um, the I Just Can't Forgive Myself by Robert D. Jones. Yes. Um, because I struggled with the fact that I just couldn't forgive myself. For yeah. This, you know, and I yeah. had to realize I was putting myself above... God standards, you know, and and that was that was huge for me, and and I just know that personally, it has opened up the it's opened up the doors for the Lord to work in my life. Right, right. I had to come clean with it. I had to tell. Um, I didn't have to tell my children. My husband said I never had to tell them if I didn't want to. I chose to tell them when they were um, mid teenagers. But that was something the Lord put on my heart to. To share that, and there was a great fear of man in me that people are going to think, and my children are going to think horrible right. about me because they were into the, the you know, the abort seventy three and the pro life um, thing too. But um, I found forgiveness from them more than I expected. And yeah, they didn't think less of me, and they still love me. Right, <laughs> right. And, um, it's it's God has moved it on my heart to work in this area too because Good. it is so crippling to be a Christian and to be bound up with this type of guilt in your life. Right. You don't, you, you're not complete in what the Lord wants, how he wants to use you. Yeah, so, so true. Eileen. Mm-hmm. I just have to say this. One of the biggest problems is we're not hearing these things from the pulpit in a balanced way. Mm-hmm. And there's actually something written on how, to give your pastor on how to teach or preach on this in a biblically balanced way. Um, although I can't tell you the top of my head what the name of that book is, but um, I think you I've could seen give it. it to your pastor and bless many, many other women who are silent in, in your churches. Um, because now, when I first started in '82, you know the the issue was hardly brought up at all. But then yeah, it was yeah. how wrong abortion is. But no um, message of forgiveness was given. To the women. Right, right. And so they were just becoming more and more shut down. Yeah. But now, if they hear a, a biblically balanced uh, message from the pulpit, many, many more women, I think, will come out and, and have that um, biblical healing. Right. So we need to give them a resource. Yeah. You know, if they're open to that. Now, some, you know, preach exegetically, but they still, when they come to a passage that would deal with it, would do it, right. I think, in a better way. Right. Give them a resource. Right. Yeah, I agree. Anybody else? Well, the lady I was telling you about earlier, who, when she and her husband were separated 38 years ago, mm-hmm. and she was dating and she got pregnant, and then she and her husband got back together, and then he... Um, was moving the family and he said I'm going I'm taking our four kids you can come but you can't bring the baby and so she had the abortion and they've never talked about it since so they're in this marriage that's 
you know, it's not horrible, but obviously they're not living the abundant life together for sure. And her biggest thing is fear of telling the husband or bringing it up with the husband again to to do an exchange of forgiveness. Right. Um, she's finally dealt. She did exactly what you said. Of course, God forgives everything, but not this. Yeah. And we finally yeah. worked through that. And so, I'm. I don't know, and I'll be looking forward to reading the book. But is it important for her to get it out in the open with her husband again to deal with it? And, because it just seems like there's unforgiveness going on there if they've never even talked about it. Yeah, it, it's really hard to say because he could just be so shut down that he 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 doesn't want it brought up. Um, so that I think I think it would have to be um, just working with you or and and her getting to the right place and then. And letting God move on him, you know, to to be able to talk about it. So, so there's no easy answer on any of this, is there? <laughs> n- no. <laughs> That's the answer. That but the um, the I I can't forgive myself. The well, there's a list on there. Um, I don't think Kurt Young's book is down there. It's a it's a big hard book and it's older. Um, I didn't see it, so I didn't know if he could even get it. Yeah, did it's on the book table? Yeah, I know it's on here, but I didn't think they. But I think the rest of them are there, and those pamphlets are excellent. The I can't forgive myself and um, um, whatever else I had on there. I know the one that I read from Healing After Abortion. Um, and the workbooks, and was there one more? Precious Unborn Human. Oh, and that's, I don't know if he has that either, because, and that's a really, really good one by Greg Kokel. Um, I don't know if he could get that one either, but that's a great um, resource too. So, anyway, well, thank you so much. Copyright 2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.